Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! When we think about the medieval period, we often imagine people not just living in filth, but being happy to do so. However, the medievals did wash, bathe, and clean their teeth more than we would expect, even if they were unable to achieve the levels of hygiene that we do now. Or at least that I do, I can't speak for you, dear viewer. There were medical guides about health and cleanliness, and people did their best to keep themselves and their clothes dirt-free. Let's travel back in time and get our hands dirty before we promptly clean them whilst we learn about hygiene during the Middle Ages. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Clean Freaks a lot of the information that we have about the Vikings was written by Christians, who had an obvious bias against the Scandinavians and portrayed them as wicked pagans. But in reality, the Vikings were actually much cleaner than the Anglo-Saxons, who ironically regarded them as dirty savages. At that time, the Saxons would only bathe perhaps once or twice a year. Some of the most common items found at Viking burial mounds have been tools for personal grooming, such as razors, tweezers, combs, and ear spoons. <laughs> Called either ear picks or ear scoops, they were usually made from either wood or metal, and these long spoons would often be carried on a chain around the neck. They were used to remove wax from the ears, or sometimes to clean the fingernails. I hope you're taking notes. The Vikings also used soap, which contained lye to bleach their hair and beards. Not only did this help to colour the hair blonde, which was fashionable at the time, but it also helped to keep them lice-free. The Vikings seem to have been regarded as clean freaks by the Saxons. In fact, a chronicle which was thought to have been written in the 13th century stated that, quote, "...the Danes, thanks to their habit of combing their hair every day, bathing every Saturday, and regularly changing their clothes, were unable to undermine the virtue of married women and even seduce the daughters of nobles to be their mistresses." Vikings definitely had a thing about their facial hair, and this is reflected in the names of some of their prominent leaders, such as Sven Forkbeard. But men of other cultures preferred to be clean-shaven, which could be an issue as mirrors were usually very small and cloudy in the Middle Ages. Razors weren't great either, and were likely to have been a very dangerous long blade. Many men would have gone to the local barber surgeon, but if one was not available, they would have to get someone else to help them to shave, in case they missed a bit. Lice and fleas would also have been an issue for everyone, rich or poor. We know that the plague, which was responsible for killing millions throughout Europe over a period of five centuries, was probably spread by parasites such as fleas and lice. They were everywhere, in hair, clothes, and bedding. Delousing was carried out using small, fine-toothed combs, similar to what are still used to get rid of head lice today. What a waste. Probably the first thing you would notice when walking through a European medieval city would be the stench. A city with a population of 100,000 could produce about 5,000 kilograms of waste every day. People weren't actually relieving themselves in the streets, but in cities such as London, there was no hygienic way to get rid of the waste. Chamber pots were often emptied into the streets in those areas without a communal privy. By the 12th century, public toilets had been built that emptied out into the River Thames. In fact, in 1327, a law was introduced that forbade anyone from throwing their waste into the Thames in the hopes that these citizens would have their mess removed by either cart or dung boat. 
However, a kind of medieval fly-tipping began with Tower Hill becoming one of the worst areas to be hit. It was so disgusting in 1371 that those living nearby were appalled by the odour of the excrement and filth. Another law then forbade citizens to dump their waste there, so they went back to throwing it into the river, and the vicious, stinky cycle began again. King Edward III noted that the river channel had become so narrow with effluence that ships struggled to get through. Just to be clear, that's ships with a P. Ships. Castle moats played a big part in sanitation for the medieval nobility. It seems that moats weren't just a useful defence, they were also open sewers. Although commoners used outdoor latrines, the medieval castle would have had a simple plumbing system called a guardrobe. Actually, it was no more than a hole in the wall, so that waste could be dropped directly into the moat below. Nasty. And can you imagine the rising stench on a warm summer's day? Please press your smell-o-vision button now. Bathing. Although their castle moats might have been full of disgusting filth, royalty and the nobility did take their personal hygiene quite seriously. King Edward III of England had his own private, fully-tiled bathroom. Looked after by his army of attendants, he had the luxury of hot and cold running water and highly perfumed soaps. Usually made from lard or oil mixed together with wood ashes, soap was moulded into bars with fragrant additives such as herbs or dried flowers. Wealth would dictate the scents used and the quality of the soap. For the poorest people, soap made with lye would damage the skin if a person scrubbed too hard. The king would have also had the privilege of a servant to take care of his excrement. A groom of the stool would have disposed of the king's waste, but it is not known whether he would have actually wiped the royal bottom, although he would have supplied towels, a bowl, and water. The position of groom of the stool was high-ranking. The groom would monitor the king's diet and health, and could be considered a trusted advisor. There was no toilet paper in Europe, although the Chinese had invented it in the 6th century, so commoners would probably use straw for wiping but those wealthy enough would use pieces of cloth. Although the wealthy could afford their own bathing facilities, those of lesser means would have to rely on jugs and basins, or wash in rivers and lakes. But this was dangerous. Several people were killed in the River Thames during the 14th century. Robert Dallaire was one of those unfortunate enough to bathe in an area called the Fish Wharf. When there was no one else around to save him, he accidentally drowned. And in 1269, 12-year-old John White, quote, took off his clothes one evening and entered a certain stream to bathe. He was drowned by misadventure. Although, why anyone would want to get into the Thames water with all that sewage floating around is a mystery. By the later Middle Ages, bathhouses were popular, and by the 13th century, there were about 32 bathhouses in Paris. The idea was brought back from the Middle East by the Crusaders. Doctors there understood the importance of hygiene and cleanliness far better than those in the West. There was no mixed bathing. Men and women were separated into days for different sexes, although boys were allowed to bathe with their mothers up to the age of seven. In the Southwark area of London, there was a choice of 18 hot baths, and there were even bathhouses in smaller towns, usually adjacent to the bakery so that the warmth from the ovens could help to heat the water. But public bathing was not well-liked by the Catholic Church. It involved nudity, and many of the bathhouses were linked to prostitution. King Henry II had Southwark declared a red-light area in the 12th century. One Italian traveller was horrified that men and women bathed together in Germany, dressed only in flimsy linen shifts. 
Some chose not to bathe at all because of their religious beliefs, preferring to prioritise the welfare of the soul over that of the body. Many saw washing as a sign of vanity and sexual immorality. Saint Godric famously walked all the way from England to Jerusalem in the 12th century without bathing or changing his clothes. And when Thomas A. Becket was being prepared for burial, he was found to be wearing a hair shirt that was full of lice and fleas. Later in the 13th century, Bishop Thomas de Cantaloupe of Hereford wore a hair shirt so full of fleas that his servants could grab them by the handful. One late medieval saint refused to ever wash her hair, so that it would crawl with head lice. These forms of self-punishment were seen as a type of martyrdom. Women's Health there were medieval books on manners with recipes for dry shampoos, and it was recommended that the hair be washed every two to three weeks in warm water scented with petals. The Trotula, a medieval guide to women's medicine, recommends that hair should be cleaned with a mixture of egg whites, vine stalks, and ashes. Women had it particularly tough when it came to dealing with menstruation during the Middle Ages. Having no idea about female reproduction, it was seen as a punishment from God because of Eve's sins. As such, pain relief was not allowed for cramps, as the pain and suffering was all part of God's divine plan. Poorer women used certain types of moss to absorb the flow of blood, whilst those who couldn't afford it would have used cotton pads or washable rags. To stop any unwanted odours, women would carry nosegays of nutmeg. There was a real fear of menstrual blood as having corrosive power. It was said to damage a penis on contact, kill beehives, and give dogs rabies, amongst other terrifying things. Washing Day Only the very poorest of people would have just one set of clothing. Without modern detergents, one option for the medievals when getting rid of grease and stains would be to wash clothes in urine. Yes, they mixed white ash with urine to make lye, which contained ammonia. In fact, the stronger the ammonia was, then the better it was at removing stains and dirt, so they would leave the urine to go stale and ferment. Laundry washed in tubs was trampled on or beaten with sticks. Many would add flowers such as lavender to the water when rinsing their clothes to make them smell better. Those without a tub would take their washing down to rivers, lakes, or streams. In the 15th century, the Prior of Coventry complained that all the people were washing their clothes in his fish pond and killing his fish. There was a jetty in London called the Lavender Brig where poor women were allowed to do their laundry and access for this was protected by the city authorities. It seems that washing clothes could be as perilous as bathing in the Middle Ages. At one large hospital in Paris, nurses had to go down to the River Seine to wash bedding and towels. In winter, it was cold and the mud was treacherous, so they had to be accompanied by a guardian in case they fell in. Towards the end of the Middle Ages, linen undergarments were worn, which made life a lot easier as they could be changed more often than outer garments. Although they lacked the knowledge to make the link between a lack of hygiene and germs, it seems that given the circumstances, the medievals tried to do the best they could to stay clean. Risking their lives to launder clothing and bathe in rivers and lakes only goes to show how important keeping themselves dirt-free actually was to the medievals. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Remember to wash your hands, brush your teeth, and subscribe to this channel, as we do release a video every week. Cheers!